Now, those are some of the things that, that, I, that I want right now. Maybe there's more complaints. Maybe I just need to get those things off my chest before we got to the message today. But here are some things that I'm really, really praying for. that I'm asking God to even move in. One of the things I'm praying for is for this church. I want to see it be all that God created it to be. I want to see this be a place where we really do develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. As we connect and grow and serve and even multiply. In fact, I would love it if this was even the church that send out more people to plant more of these gospel outposts all around this area. I'm praying for God to move in this church. But I'm also praying for our kids. My wife and I pray for our kids that they would also become authentic followers of Jesus, that they would be rooted and built up in him, overflowing with thanks, thankfulness that they would be people who persevered in Christ and even one day had godly, God-honoring relationships and a marriage with somebody else. Man, we are praying for our kids. And then I'm also praying, and this is something that God hasn't yet said yes to, but we're praying for our youngest daughter, Karis. Many of you know we adopted her a few years ago, but she has some developmental delays and we've been praying that God would heal her of all of those. And we're praying that God would move in her life and that he would heal her. But enough about me. What about you? What do you want? What do you need? What is it that maybe you've even been asking God for and you haven't yet gotten an answer? What is it that maybe you at one time were praying a lot for, but for whatever reason you stopped praying for that? Where do you need God to provide right now in your life? We're in week three of our series called An Open Door. And we're taking this and looking at this eight-week series, and we're taking the first few weeks and we're focusing on prayer and mainly looking at this model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples while he was here on earth. What's been commonly known as the Lord's Prayer has just been repeated or stated at times, like some sort of good luck charm or a mantra, but really it's been said so many times without any meaning, any heart behind it. But Jesus never meant this to be a prayer that we simply repeated over and over and over again. It was meant to be a template. In fact, Jesus would say to his disciples, pray then like this. In other words, I'm about to give you this prayer template that helps us abide in our relationship with the Lord, that helps get our hearts in the right position so that we see our requests, our needs, and our wants in the right view of who God is, no matter how he decides to answer. In fact, let's just take a moment again. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to read it out loud together. Probably the, the original version that you memorize it in, or maybe on your sports team, you kind of just set it in. And that's in the King James Version, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Let's all read this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And again, this is to be a model prayer. Not for us to simply just repeat these words over and over again without any heart or any meaning behind it. 
So let's read it again in a different translation. Let's read it out loud together in the New Living Translation. Let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then this is the version of the Bible that we read here at Coastal, the English Standard Version. I'll just read this one out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, we've been going through this model prayer line by line, prompt by prompt every single week. But what has this prayer been about so far? What has been the main prompt that we are are to pray more than anything so far in this model prayer that Jesus gave? Remember, it it starts off all about the Lord. We often start in the wrong place. Jesus even said earlier in verses five through seven that we are not to be like the hypocrites who praise. All right, can you hear me now? (laughs) So Jesus was saying, Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't pray to him as if he wasn't real. Or pray, don't pray in a way where it seems like you're only praying to yourself or making your prayers all about you. His model prayer was a reminder that prayer is foundational. Church, it is necessary for us to abide in our relationship with the Lord. It's also a reminder that prayer is relational. We're praying to a heavenly father who really does care deeply about his children. But prayer is also positional. That's why it's important that we start in the right place when we pray. Starting with our Father. Starting with praising our Heavenly Father for who He is and thanking Him for the things that He's done. Giving Him praise and honor, church, is actually not a setback in our prayers, but instead it's a setup for our hearts to be in the right position as we ask God for the things that we need. And we are also to pray your, your kingdom come, your will be done. And remember, it's your kingdom. It is God's kingdom. It is his will that we are praying to be done. It's alignment not with a political agenda. It's alignment not with a cultural agenda. It's not even alignment with our own agenda. This is praying that our hearts will be aligned with God's kingdom agenda. So now Jesus doesn't take the attention of prayer away from our father, but now directs his disciples to present their requests in alignment with that godly kingdom agenda. Look again at this next prayer prompt that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter six, verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. This is a part of the Lord's prayer that is about our petitions, our needs, and our wants. But it's not just wanting for wanting's sake, okay? Again, God is not some sort of genie in the bottle or some sort of wishing well where you can drop some quarters in and then you will get a cat or even get a new Tesla in your driveway. That's not the type of wanting we're talking about. But it is to remember that God is a provider. Our Heavenly Father provides for his children. So again, I wanna ask you, what do you want? 
what do you need? Where do you need God to move right now in your life? Where do you need him to provide? Maybe there's something that you have even stopped praying about because you thought God doesn't care or he didn't give you an answer. Wherever you are today, pray. Don't stop praying. Your heavenly father loves you. And even right now, he wants to provide for you. In fact, there's two things I want to point out um, from this passage today. When we're thinking about this part of the model prayer, two ways, two things that God provides. The first one is this, write this down. God provides everything. Now, maybe you're saying, okay, Andrew, way to be completely general and nonspecific at all. Really, everything? Well, let, let me explain, okay? Let me explain. Look again in Matthew 6, 11. Jesus says to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, the word here translated daily in our English Bibles can actually have several meanings. Many of you know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and sometimes Greek words have all these layers to it. And in fact, this word right here that's translated daily is only used in this part of the Bible. It's not found in anywhere else, but in the first century Roman culture, it was typically used in three different ways. So um, some of those Bible nerds out there that kind of argue about this, go back and forth with what this, how the translation should come and what daily should actually translate to be. Um, but we're going to look at what each one of those means. So that word daily in the original language is a word epiusios. If I want you to say that out loud with me, because it's kind of fun to say, on the count of three, say epiusios. One, two, three. Wow, that sounded really good. All right, so it can mean daily in the sense like this, Okay. It can mean daily, meaning today like yesterday. It's almost as some people think that Jesus was saying this and recalling how God provided for the children of Israel back in Exodus chapter 16 with manna. God giving them this daily bread that they needed to the point where they were full and that their needs were met. So it's almost like when we pray, we're praying, God provide today like you did yesterday. You were faithful before, and today, God, I'm praying that you're going to be faithful again and provide for my needs today, just like you did yesterday. It can also mean today, like right now, like praying for our immediate needs right now, seeing your daily bread of what you actually need today, right now, in this moment. Maybe you're heading into a meeting and you know it's going to be a tense meeting and you need to pray for God to give you that peace that transcends all understanding. You have an immediate need for peace right now, today. Or maybe there's been some, some sort of conflict in your class. You need to study well enough for your test and you, you need some peace. You need some help. You need some encouragement and you're praying for that need to happen right now, today. But see, it can also mean today and every day to come as if we're praying for our future needs. Again, as we think about what it is that God has provided before, how he's providing for us right now, but to know he will take care of everything that we need moving forward. So again, maybe this is the person who's praying for the kids to walk with Jesus, that down the road in the future, they will continue to follow Christ with everything that's in their heart. Or maybe it's for the person who's praying for that future spouse one day, who's praying that as they're praying for them, as they're seeking God, that they're also seeking God as well, praying for their future spouse. As someone who's praying for that future need that's coming up. So which one of these is it? I would say it's all of the above. Whether we are remembering God sustaining us from the past, 
or providing for us right now, or whether we are recognizing that he will provide for us in the future, this is the right posture to have in prayer, knowing that God will provide for you because he is the provider of everything. Anything we have, church, comes from God. Anything you need comes from him. It's kind of like what the Apostle Paul would talk about in Acts chapter 17 in verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. God doesn't need anything at all. But since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath, and everything. You know, we are actually going to be looking at this passage in about three weeks in Acts chapter 17, but I had to share with you just this little part because here in Acts 17, Paul is talking to a group of people in his era called Mars Hill and this council of Greek philosophers called the Areopagus. And it was led by these Greek philosophers who saw their provision, their livelihood, and their influence all coming from either the Greek pantheon of gods or coming from their own internal knowledge within. Any knowledge or wisdom outside of that realm was foolish to them. In fact, as Paul was sharing about Jesus and how Jesus provides real life and real meaning, they thought that Paul was a babbler. In fact, they even said that Paul was an idiot for sharing that anything outside of them could come from someone else, especially this Jesus who Paul was telling them is God. Church, the Greeks thought everything was from idols, or from their own knowledge. And Paul was warning them that this type of thinking, this type of philosophy is dangerous. Literally saying, look, you've made a God. You even went to a store and bought a God and brought it home and saying that that thing provides for you. Or to say, just because you, you say, I think, therefore I am, saying that the knowledge of yourself only comes from within yourself, that sounds like a dangerous philosophy to have. Does that sound like anything that exists in our culture today? In the morning, um, I typically do my quiet time, and then I work out. And yes, I do work out, okay? Don't look at me with any type of judging eyes. I work out, uh, not every day, but a lot of days. So I do my quiet time. I spend some time in worship and prayer, reading God's word, and then I spend some time working out. Now, I have a subscription to one of those things, those workout, like digital workout things through Apple Fitness, and I don't think any of the trainers on there are Jesus followers whatsoever. Because as you're working out, they're trying to have you do all these internal mantras like, believe in yourself, breathe in yourself. And I don't know about you, but when I work out, like I do not smell good. Last thing I want to do is to breathe in myself. But they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to say, look, everything you need is within you. Everything you can give is within you. And they're trying to say, look, you are the ultimate source of you almost like saying you are your own God. But for the follower of Jesus, we don't believe that. We believe like Paul said, that because of Jesus, we live and move and breathe. Everything is provided by him. So if I have strength to complete the squat on the workout, it's because God has given me that strength. If I have everything I need right now, it's because God has provided it. We believe that everything, church, comes from him. And Paul was saying, look, everything is from God. In him we live 
and we move and we breathe. You know, one of Job's friends back in the Old Testament would say the Job, and he, he kind of said the opposite, but the same thing. He said, look, if he, talking about God, if God should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. In other words, if God were to will it right now, everything would fall apart. If God were to will it right now, he could wipe out everything in existence. But because he exists, because he wills it, everything is held together. So everything comes from him. In fact, the author of Hebrews, he says it this way. He says, talking about Jesus, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God sustains us. He preserves us and he provides for us. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. He's everywhere. This is the God that we pray to. This is the God that we submit to. So as you ask for your daily needs, whether it's something you need right now or something that you will want or need in the future, you can ask the God who sustains and preserves and also provides because he is all-knowing, because he is all-powerful. But not only do we go to God for what we need because we know that he's the source of everything, we also go to God when we're asking for our requests and our wants because we know that God provides an answer. Write this down, church. When we're praying, asking for our daily bread, what it is we need, whether it's right now or in the future, we know that God provides an answer. Right before Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. He says this in Matthew 6, verse 8. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So one of the questions that sometimes I get as a pastor is, look, if God already knows, why do we need to ask? If he already knows, why do we need to seek him daily or often or seeking or pleading? If he already knows what we need, if he's all powerful, all knowing, why in the world do we even need to ask him for anything, spending time in prayer? Warren Wiersbe, author and theologian, he says this. He says, prayer prepares us for the proper use of the answer God gives. When we're praying, it is preparation for the answer that God is going to give us. And we even make better use of the answer that God gives when we ask, rather than if he were to force the answer on us without asking. God doesn't need our prayer church, but God wants them. And he also knows that we need them. And we need them because he is the source and the provider of everything. He knows what we need, but we are to seek him with our, our, our hearts. And he is the one who primes our hearts for the answer. So how does God answer prayer? I want to share with you today a couple different ways from scripture on how God answers prayer. The first way is he simply says yes. He says yes. Man, who does not love a yes from God? There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 23 about King David. When he was going, he was trying to decide whether or not he should go and fight one of these enemies. And so he goes and he seeks the Lord. And listen to what it says here in 1 Samuel 23, verse 2. It says, therefore, therefore, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? 
And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. So how much more if we go to Calah and, and, and go up against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. He went and prayed and asked the Lord again. And the Lord answered him again, yes, arise, go to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. God said, yes, go do it, David. And David's men were like, are you sure? And God said, yes, again, go and attack the Philistines. I'm gonna give them into your hands. Don't you just love that? Don't you just love it when you're praying for something and God gives you a yes? Maybe it was that job that you were seeking for so long and you finally applied to it and you're praying, God, God, give me this job. God, I, I really need a new job. I, I need some new leadership in my life. And you were praying for God to give you the job and that you got that call and it was a yes. Maybe it was a school that you were applying to. You didn't even think that you were gonna get in and you prayed, God, open the door so I could go to this school and you got back the acceptance letter and you saw that it was a yes. This could be something big or small. I remember there was even a season where I felt like I was driving around parking lots at the store and I'd be praying, God, give me an up-close parking spot. And sometimes it seemed like just at that moment, a car would back out. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for that yes. But whatever it is, whether it's big or small, as we present our requests to God, whether they're wants or needs, and we love it when God says yes. But remember when you're asking God for something, He's the God who provides. But sometimes when it's not a yes, we can think that he's not providing for us. But the truth is he always provides an answer, even when that answer is no. And sometimes when we're praying and we're asking for our wants or our needs, sometimes the answer to our prayer is no. In 1 Chronicles 17, David wanted to build a house for the Lord. It will be the place where the entire nation of Israel will come to worship the Lord. David was like, look, I'm, I'm in this fancy house over here. God just has this little tent. I, I need to build him something grand. Listen to what it says here in 1 Chronicles 17, verse 1. It says, now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, he goes and asks the preacher in the area, behold, I dwell in this house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, hey, do all that's in your heart for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. God said no. Now, later on, we find out that because of all the bloodshed that happened while David was king, that God was going to pass this on to his son. But even though this was a good thing that David was desiring, God said no. Have you ever prayed for something that you knew was good? Maybe it wouldn't even just be good for you, but good for those around you. And you pray, God, give me a yes in this. But God said no. Um, a few years ago, you know, sometimes when I say a few years, I mean, it's been like a decade. So 11 years ago, uh, I was working at a church in Ohio, and I was a middle school pastor there. And I can remember during that season, I started to feel like maybe my time here was coming to an end and kind of taking that ministry as far um, as I believe God wanted me to take it. So I started to pray about what might be next. 
And there was a church in South Florida that I had worked for before way back in the day. It was 20, 20 years or 11 years at that point before that. In fact, it was, it was a church where I met our executive pastor here at the church, Andrew Oates. We worked together at that church way back in the day in the early 2000s. And then during that time when we were praying for what might be next, out of the blue, they gave me a call and said, hey, we want you to interview to be the middle school pastor down here at this church. And during that time, I mean, the church was doing really well. I mean, they were seeing, seeing three to 400 middle school students on Sunday. And so we went down there for the interview. I preached to the middle school department. I mean, like 12 students got saved that weekend. Every interview seemed like it was going well. I mean, I remember sitting down with some of the people that were interviewing us, and there were tears in our eyes as we were thinking about the future of ministry, what could be and what should be. It seemed like everything was going to be a yes. And then after we left there and we went back home while we were waiting as everyone prayed, they prayed, we prayed. I went back home at that church. I even, I took one box and I packed it by faith. I said, God, I believe this is so much a yes. I'm gonna go in and pack one box because we are ready to move with you. I'll never forget about 11 days later, I got the phone call and they said it was a no. After every single thing, this was going to be a good thing. It seemed like it was going to be such a good thing. I thought it was going to be a yes. I remember talking on the phone. They were saying, you know, we don't even fully understand why, Andrew. We, we thought it was going to be like a full circle moment. You coming back to the place where you first got your calling to ministry. We thought it would be a full circle moment for us and for you. And we thought it was going to be so good, but we feel like God has said no in this season. So I hung up the phone and I threw away that box that I packed. But even in that no, even in that no, God would use the next season at that church to continue to grow me as a leader, as a pastor. And then I would become an associate pastor and a campus pastor and now leading this church here. So even in his no, God had something even better as he continued to lead and to guide. And sometimes, church, even in the no, God is up to something, and he wants to provide for you even when he says no. Uh, this next one is one that we don't like, but sometimes he simply says wait. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 36. I don't know who this is for today. The writer of Hebrews says, look, therefore, do not throw away any of your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. I mean, this is, again, this is the hope that we have that our heavenly father provides, that Jesus has saved us, that he's leading us, that he's guiding us. We don't throw away our confidence in that, which has a great reward. But he says, for you have need of endurance. Some translations have, say, you have need of patience so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. And sometimes we're praying, but but for whatever reason in that season, God is saying, look, I still need to build up some patience in you. I need to build up some endurance in you. And sometimes when we're praying, God says, wait. But sometimes he also says, you know what? I've already made that clear. You're praying about something that you think you want or you need. And sometimes God says, you know, I've already made that clear through my word. Look, you do need to pray about everything. You do need to ask God about everything. But there are some things, even as you're praying about it, God has already given a clear answer in his will through his word. 
So here's just a couple of examples that over the years I've gotten as a pastor, um, people have come and asked me questions. Uh, here's an example. Should I stop sleeping with my girlfriend? Or should I stop sleeping with my boyfriend or living together or living outside of a relationship that God says should be one man and one woman under his covenant? This is what God says. If you're praying for that, seeking wisdom on that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. Paul writes, look, for this is the will of God. Crystal clear. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness." Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What about this question? Maybe you're praying, wondering, should I give? Well, again, God has made it clear. 1 Thessalonians 6, 18, Paul's writing to this church and he says, look, this church, look, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Should I care about my neighbors? God, should I really go and meet my neighbors? Should I invite them to church? Should I try to help them? Should I get to know them and build relationship with them? God has made it clear. He said, look, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What should I do about that person at work that hates me or that I don't like? I don't know if you consider them to be an enemy or not, but Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God, what do I do about my worry? What do I do about the things that are keeping me up late at night? What do I do about my anxiety? You know, at times the Bible uses worry and anxiety almost interchangeably. And I heard someone say maybe a good separator of understanding worry and anxiety is worry are the thoughts that roll around in our minds, thinking about the things that either we can't control or we can't change or that may never happen that we're concerned about. And that's when we're thinking it up here, then anxiety is when we begin to feel it in our bodies. Worry and anxiety affects our minds, but it also affects our bodies as well. America right now, church, I really do believe, look, this is the best country to live in. I, I, I never want to live in any other country in the world. I want to live right here in these United States. But right now, America is worried and filled with anxiety. In fact, the WHO said that right now, America actually leads the world in the clinical diagnosis of anxiety. We are worried. And again, who wouldn't it be after years like 2020? in 2021, in 2022, and who knows what's gonna happen in 2023. We are worried as to what's going to happen. And let me just say, look, we're not the type of church that we would say, look, the mental stresses that are, can be overwhelming at times because they, they do take a toll on you. We're not the type of church that says that you don't need any type of medication to be able to overcome those things. Sometimes you might need a professional counselor to literally prescribe you a pill to help you and to help you overcome that. But remember, church, 
Look, even though this is mental and it can affect your body, worry and anxiety is also spiritual. It is spiritual warfare. We need to remember this is spiritual warfare that can be fought with what God has said and seeking him in his word. You know, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and near the end of this section, if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus moves from this teaching on prayer, and he would go into this whole section on teaching on not to worry. He would say, look at the flowers. Look at the birds of the field. Look, they aren't worried about when gas prices are going to come down. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. They aren't worried about when inflation rates are going to stop going up. Look at the birds of the field. They aren't worried because they know that they're heavenly Father will provide. Look, church, Jesus said, look, don't worry, but instead you Matthew 6.33, that worry and those thoughts. And you seek first the kingdom of God and put your mind and your prayers back on his kingdom agenda. And it's even what the apostle Paul was saying, Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine, where he says, look, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, that the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, regard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and lovely and commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. When worry creeps in, pray. Pray about whatever is true and honorable and acceptable and commendable and worthy of praise. And then the last one, sometimes when we're praying and asking God for what we want or what we need, his answer is, my grace is enough. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. The apostle Paul writes, he says, look, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations. A thorn was given in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Paul says, listen to this. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave. Church, every single time I read this passage right here, I mean, this is the apostle Paul we're talking about. The one who probably prayed better than any prayer back in the first century. The one who would go and start multiple churches and take the gospel further and faster than probably any other apostle or disciple in the first century. The one who would write about a third of the New Testament. The one who even had such a close relationship with the Lord. When he's talking about these revelations here, Right before this, he's talking about how he's having this vision of whether he's like in heaven with God or this is a vision he's having here below, but the presence of God was so close in his life. He felt so close to him. Every time I read this where he said, where he prayed three times, God, take this pain away from me. God, take this suffering away from me. 
Every time I read this, I think the answer is going to be yes in the next verse. Of course, this is Paul. Did everything right. Even praying for what is good. Every time I read this, I think it's going to be so obvious that, of course, God is going to say, yes, Paul, you've done all these great things for me. You've given of everything. You've planted churches. Man, you've given my word. You've written down my word, what I've told you, and, and people are experiencing the goodness of my word because of you. Of course, the answer is going to be yes. But listen to what the Lord said to Paul in the next verse. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Right now, you may be praying for something that you want or what you need. Right now, God may be saying to you, look, he wants to provide an answer. The answer simply may be that right now, his grace, who he is, is sufficient for the time that you're in. Church, look, God provides an answer, but the question is, are you listening? No matter what it is you're praying for, no matter what season you find yourself in, God will provide an answer. But are you listening to the answer that he wants to provide? In a moment, we're just going to take some time and pray as we close out the service today. And in a moment, like I also want to pray for those who might be sitting in this room yet who haven't yet given your life to Jesus and maybe you're sitting out there and you haven't yet trusted Christ as Lord, and maybe you have literally tried everything to fulfill the brokenness that you feel inside of you, maybe you've tried everything, but today is the day to give up everything to the one who can provide everything. Would you turn to Jesus today and trust him as Lord? Aren't you gonna bow your heads and close your eyes? And maybe that's you today and you are ready to trust Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life. Right there where you are, would you just pray this simple prayer? Would you pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, be the Lord and leader of my life. I believe that you are God. I believe you paid the price for my sin. I believe that you bodily rose from the dead. I believe that you can give me everything I need. And that's you today. You prayed to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. Would you just slip your hand up and keep it up just for a moment so I can pray for you to slip it up and then just put it back down? All right, anyone else? And then for the rest of us, church, right now, what do you want? What do you need? What do you need God to provide for you right now? If there's a need that you have that you just need prayer for, you need an answer for, would you raise your hand up so I can pray for you? Raise it up, just keep it up, raise it up, keep it up. You have a prayer need right now that you need God to provide an answer for. I want you to know that you are not alone in this moment of need, but our God is a provider. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for how you provide for us. God, thank you that you are the source of everything we need. God, you are the source of life, and in you, God, we live and we move and we breathe. So, God, even as we seek you daily for what we need, God, for what we want, God, I pray that we would see that you are the one who's the source of what we need. God, I pray that we would seek you always. But, God, I pray that we would listen for your answer. God, whether it is a yes, and we all love a yes, or whether it's a no, 
maybe it's a season, God, where you want to build up some patience and endurance in us, and we simply need to wait. God, whatever it is, God, we believe that your grace is sufficient in every moment. God, you provide, and you provide us an answer. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Watchers, let's stand.